Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, a very good afternoon. Welcome into the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson and my co-host, All Black Great Crusader Great Justin Marshall. Another exciting weekend of Super Rugby. We do have the playoff picture confirmed for next weekend's quarterfinals. Big talking point, though. The Hurricanes beating the Crusaders last night in a feisty, entertaining game of rugby at Sky Stadium in Wellington. The Blues, well, they got up over the Highlanders. A messy performance, but as Leon McDonald said, a win is a win. And good news, too for Moana Pacifica, their first win of Super Rugby for 2023. Justin Marshall, it's a very good afternoon. Welcome. Yes, good afternoon to you, Mark, and uh, good afternoon to everybody joining us for the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Uh, You're dead right. It was a really interesting last round of Super Rugby. Uh, I guess there were some results there that many weren't expecting. Uh, not a very good round for Australian rugby, it'd be fair to say. Um, they'll be feeling the pain today. And equally, a uh, great result for Moana Pacifica, who finally managed to get a win. Uh, and I guess if I was thinking about it, what I probably the biggest losers of the weekend. Now, people are going to raise their eyebrows early doors on this Sunday afternoon. Um, for me, is the Chiefs. Explain that, Justin. How... how, how... Well, out of all of the teams that they probably could have played as being the top qualifier, they probably wanted to avoid the Reds, who have already tipped them up this season at home. And they're just a really capable side. Now, they didn't look a capable side against the uh, Andrua, yes. Uh, And at times, they've been all over the place, fluctuating with form. Um, But they are a capable side. They've got lots of Wallabies in that team. And really... I think with the greatest respect, the Chiefs probably would have been preferred to be playing, which looked most likely either the Force or the Endurance, but they've been landed with the Chiefs. Um, so it, I, I think that probably was uh, one of the games that they would like to have avoided, if I was perfectly honest, being the top qualifier. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about that game last night between the Crusaders and the Hurricanes. Um, it was... Who benefits out of that the most? So now the Hurricanes, so they go into the playoffs with real confidence and are they possibly the dark horse team? We often see in playoffs the team that gets on a bit of a run. Um, it often qualifies towards the bottom end but can often go on a bit of a run. And does this dent the momentum of the Crusaders? Yeah, I think the, the big winner on the evening, not, not only because they won the game, um, but just because of the the momentum, the dynamics of going into the quarterfinals unequivocally is, is the Hurricanes. Um, no doubt about the fact that it was it was a belter of a game. Uh, a good old classic story of, of two halves with the Crusaders looking like after 20 minutes they're, they're possibly going to win by 40 points. Uh, and then come half time and um, a few stern words by the by the look of it that the hurricanes were a different outfit out of the sheds and, and thoroughly deserved their win but back to your your question 
uh, I, I felt it was a game that the Crusaders really needed to win. Um, they've been really decimated with injury, and that's continuing to happen for them, losing Mitch Drummond in the warm-up with a hamstring. Last week, uh, losing Haveli and Grace, and, uh, you know, just, just ha- continuing to have more and more problems. I think they just needed a little confidence boost to go away against a good side. Um, who was always going to be in the quarterfinals and just put put together a performance, even though they probably weren't at full strength, um, as close to it as they could be, and just get, get a good uh, win under their belt. Um, but in saying that, uh, you know, they do have a very dangerous side to play in the Endure, but a game you would think that they should should be able to to win at home, and then maybe that would be the catalyst for them launching into semis and possibly a final. Dane Coles, Cody Taylor, great theatre last night, great entertainment. You, you need that. I, I enjoy watching that. It shows these players being human. It shows uh, traits that we all have, rational players becoming a little rational, the competitive nature of it, the little bit of the back chat. Um, and in the finish, uh, Dane Coles, that might have been the reason for the turnaround in momentum. Uh, he got underneath their skin um, and it seemed to lift his team and rightly or wrongly uh, seemed to have a little bit of an effect on the Crusaders with Cody Taylor ultimately being binned for 10 minutes. Yeah, look, I, I think I mentioned that in the um, commentary for Sky Sport when I said that there's been a shift in the game and, and the Crusaders look a bit rattled and I think they were rattled because... Absolutely. A little bit of a niggle started and the Hurricanes just sort of brought the game uh, into the gutter a little bit and just sort of put the Crusaders off their rhythm. And then they, they combined that with actually finally playing the game at the right area of the field and just started to create errors, penalties, obviously then a Sinbin. Uh, and it just got them out of the, the role that they were on because they, they looked really fluid, uh, particularly in that first half. And, and every time they entered into the 22, I think like uh, everybody in the crowd and most people who would have been tuning into the game, you just pretty much expected them to come away with points. And the majority of the time they did. But once the, the, the Hurricanes just changed the, the context of the game, and they did that with some defence, uh, some very good defence where they manhandled a few of the Crusaders players, they got they got their just aggression levels up and just created a little bit of, uh, a, a, I guess, a, a shift in the way that the game had been flowing. And it was very advantageous to them. And then all of a sudden, uh, they, they really grew the Hurricanes, whereas the Crusaders seemed to be rattled. Um, oh, absolutely, mate. I'm, I'm, all, I'm a very big fan of uh, Dane Coles. Always have been. I think he was a catalyst for changing the way that uh, hookers played the game and, and looked at the game, uh, the way that he brought, uh, you know, a, a different set of skills into that into that area with without losing any momentum in terms of being a good scrummager and doing his core role. Uh, he, he's just been one of our great, great, greatest All Blacks, one of the legend Hurricanes players. I, I guess the only thing that I'll throw into the mix, and he's always been this way, Colsey. He's a niggly type of player. He's chirpy, and like you say, he will try and unsettle people, but there, there is a line that you don't cross. And uh, there was an incident with him with the Crusaders with Pablo Matera that um, did not go down well, uh, and I feel that um, there, there's probably a little bit of baggage there. So when it was him being the catalyst again and getting under their skins, as long as he didn't cross that line that he did with Matera, uh, and that's obviously in-house that is, uh, 
but um, I was aware of what was said then that because Scott Barrett and a couple of others, unlike Cody Taylor, didn't have uh, anything nice to say after the game, and it just makes me wonder, you know, how far the banter actually went. Mm. Uh, it's interesting watching it as a fan so here's Cody Taylor and Dane Coles they would have played in many all-black teams together they would have been away on all-black tours um, and then they can come to a game like that and there's genuine animosity and it's close to actually having a bit of a punch-up I mean, uh, take us through that Justin you've been in that environment I mean, I don't know it, it just seems to go against what you think would happen he's a mate of mine and yep, you want to go out there and be competitive but for it to sort of go down that path. I mean, talk us through the psychology of how that works on a rugby field and maybe from your own experiences. Well, it's just rivalry, Watto. And, and you, you, you be, you bin any other allegiance uh, once, once you're playing for the team that you've got the jersey on for. Now, whether that's a, that's a club game when you're playing against a, a teammate that is in the provincial side, or whether it's a provincial side that was a teammate in Super Rugby, or equally whether it's an all-black teammate. When you've got a different jersey on, you're completely in that role. And yes, you still have mutual respect, but you're also competing against that person and and often sometimes in the same position. So you've got not only the the, the competitiveness of, I guess, trying to win the game, but equally you've got that rivalry of trying to get the better of somebody that is a teammate of yours and wears the same jersey and you want to prove a point. You know, look, plenty of instances I had in my career with mm. that. You know, think of Byron Callagher and I, for example, towards the later half of my career, um, you know, we were always at each other. <laughs> you know, um, Carlos and I, we, we were always at each other in games. And, um, you know, but it never went any further. We were roommates with the All Blacks, but when he was with the Blues or Auckland and um, I was Canterbury or the Crusaders, I would go at him real hard because I wanted to unsettle him because he was such a great player. So those sorts of things, you know, they are what they are in the game. And anything you can do to, to put them off or to to get the better of them or to have a better game than them, um, you take with great satisfaction and then you leave it, which is what Cody Taylor and Dane Coles did. They left, they left what had happened once that final whistle blew and had a bit of a laugh and a, a push around and, that, and a joke about it at the finish because... That's what it's about, the ability to move on and not take it any further. But how hard is that? I mean, did you ever find yourself in a situation where perhaps it's just not that easy to move on and that it took a couple of weeks or it took a month or uh, it took for you to go in an all-black turn room together for you guys to sort of move on and get over it? A little bit, yeah. yeah. And sometimes that's not just teammates. It's it's equally you know, op- opposite opposition players, you know, like it took me a long time to forgive George Smith. I'll be perfectly honest about that, Watto. <laughs> you know, like the fact of the matter is he, he broke one of my ribs and it was a late tackle and all he got was a penalty and I got no further involvement in the semi-final of the Rugby World Cup and I thought that was a bit unfair. Um, and I took it personally, but it wasn't personal. You know, they actually, George and, and when I sp- spoke to George and George and George, George Smith and George Gregan about it, they, they just said we targeted what you were doing off the line-out, off those short line-outs, and we just wanted to put you under massive pressure because you were the, the main distributor. Um, and, and so, yeah, look, George Smith got his timing off, but it, he said to me, I played in uh, the Hong Kong 10s with him, actually, and he said, mate, it was not personal and it was not intentional. I think I agree with you. It was it was late, and that's what the, why the penalty happened, but I wasn't meaning to break your ribs, mate, and send you out of the World Cup. And, you know, when I had a chat to him about it, I thought, you know, I needed to probably just grow up a little bit and... and 
and realised it for what it was. Um, and so you learn. You, you learn about not making. Sh- you, uh, you learn about making sure that you you take the game for what it is. You know, uh, an act of thuggery is different. Um, that certainly wasn't that with George, and and there was there was no thuggery last night as mm. well. So as players, you've just got to say, right, oh well, next time he's mouthing off at me or next time he's giving me a little bit of a slap around the face or whatever it might be, holding me down on the ground, pulling my jersey, I won't react. I'll just move on because I know that it feels him and it puts me off. We often see in other sports taking timeouts deliberately to try and shift or change the momentum of a team. How deliberate was that last night from Dane Coles in terms of suddenly that game taking a bit of a stop-start nature rather than fluidity that the, the Crusaders perhaps in that, had in that first half, certainly in that first 20 minutes? Oh, I don't think it was um, two stop-start. I think um, it was basically, I mean their intention to make it stop-start. I, I just think it was, they just lifted their aggression levels and, and Dane Coles was the catalyst for that. But I thought particularly... Once he started to just uh, put put a decent shoulder on people, I think he knew that he probably wasn't going to be on there for the entire game, and he was just trying to blow blow himself out so that when he walked off, he had nothing left in the tank. And I think he successfully did that. Uh, and just when he started doing that, the rest of the players responded. It wasn't just him; there was plenty of others that really stood up. I thought Geordie just started to carry pretty hard and just went direct. And I, I mentioned Artie, but. Even up front, you know, Blackwell and co. Um, everybody sort of just seemed to galvanise and go, you know what, we just want to narrow this game and we just want to get physical with them and see if they respond. Because, you know, they had lost Whitelock. There was a few players out there that the Crusaders usually usually um, would have an experience that were missing. And um, I think they just sort of smelt a little bit of an opportunity and they were right. Mm. Uh, Leo Willie. Uh, played number eight last night. He is a big man, isn't he? I didn't realise how big he was. He is a big, big boy. Yeah, he's playing well. Um, and, and you know, particularly having to switch around positions. They've used him in all three positions so far this season, the Crusaders, and he doesn't seem to uh, mind having to adjust. He just goes out there with the same intent. He runs hard. Like you said, he's a he's a big, strong ball carrier. Uh, he, he hits uh, aggressively um, and... He's, he's been one of their best Lucys this season. You know, he combines really well with Tom Christie, who's a different type of player. And, yeah, I think uh, when he got into that Crusader squad, he probably wasn't expecting to get a hell of a lot of game time. But with Blackadder gone, Cullen Grace out for the majority of the season, uh, and a few other injuries in, in that zone, the likes of Dominic Gardner and co., the young up-and-coming up players not being able to get on the field, he's been an a, a incredibly reliable player for the Crusaders, but also just being in that environment, he's really grown, and he is now playing top-quality rugby, probably the best rugby of his, career, of his career, arguably. What will be the great frustration? What will be the most disappointing thing for Scott Robertson with that Crusaders' second-half performance? Probably that they allowed it to be dragged into the gutter a bit and, and that they, you know, they usually have the ability to dictate and they can always bounce back. I think if you ever think of the Crusaders being under pressure or in a game where they're behind, they they always find a way back in. Yeah, they might still get beaten, but it's usually only just. They don't tend to have blowouts and that happened again last night and they showed in the last couple of minutes what they can do, but they just couldn't get themselves into that area in the second half and that'll be concerning for him. He, he needed. They needed to recognise a lot, a lot quicker that 
the, the Hurricanes were just looking to pin them in their own half and particularly in their own 22 and wait for them to make errors or give away penalties. And, and they, they just couldn't find a way to get back down into the right zone so that they could get all their, their um, skills back into the match. So that, that'll worry him, that is drivers. But he had young drivers out there. You know, he had the, the, uh, the young halves, both of them playing. Um, and, and injuries, again, don't help when guys like Sam Whitelock leave the field because those guys are, you know, really important to the Crusaders and their game plan. So that'll be worrying him that um, they couldn't do that to find their way back into the match soon enough. 17 and a half minutes after 12, you are listening to the Bunning Trade Rugby Run. Very shortly on the programme, former Crusader, former All Black, Daryl Gibson will join us on the programme. We'll get his thoughts on a number of the games from over the weekend. We'll put the spotlight and focus a little bit on the New Zealand Under-20 team narrowly getting up and beating the Junior Wallabies at the Under-20s by just a point. Matt Sexton, one of the assistant coaches, will join us. And then we'll head across the ditch and catch up with Nick McArdle to have a look at the performances of the Australian teams, get his thoughts on the playoffs as we move now into knockout mode of this year's Super Rugby Pacifica Championship. Mark Watson alongside of me Justin Marshall. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. Yes, this is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Justin Marshall, myself, Mark Watson. Uh, some very interesting texts that have come in here, Justin. I'll um, just read you the one that probably stands out the most for me. Uh, or a couple, actually. Respect your opinion, Justin, but as a season ticket holder at Waikato Stadium, the team and I, the team I wanted to come up against was the Reds and avoid the Landers. You just can't trust them. I feel that I can guarantee there will be zero complacency from the Chiefs Saturday. And what I'm on the wind trainer. Thanks for the company. Yeah, look, I, I totally agree that I don't feel the Chiefs are going to lose the game. Um, and, yeah, I wouldn't want the Highlanders to be another team that qualifies in the eight and then you have to take them on as well because they're just a niggly side that are capable um, equally as much as uh, what, what the Reds are. Um, no, I, I don't mean it in any way that I feel that the Chiefs are going to get um, beaten or that, that it's going to be a problem for them. I mean it in a way that, you know, ideally, it would have been probably better for the top-ranked team to be playing someone like the Force, the Rebels, or with the greatest respect, the Endure. But uh, landing the the you know team a team with a hell of a lot of Wallabies in it, you know, well, you won't you definitely won't be complacent. That's for sure. Uh, Justin, what's happened to Will Jordan? No way could you put him in the starting All Black team on the right wing ahead of Talia. He seems to have lost a lot of confidence, and his decision making at fifteen is not great. Too harsh. That comes from Ken. Uh, look, I, I don't think he's the same player yet that he was prior to having his uh, head concussion injuries. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but he's not long back and he's just trying to find his rhythm and you're still seeing those touches. You know, that covering tackle we made from fullback last night on Kenny Naholo, a genuine try-saver. And, you know, he, he will still have moments in the game and they'll only get better and better and better the more he finds his rhythm and, and gets used to back playing again, used to contact. You know, all of that takes a little bit of time when you've been out for so long. So, yep, no, I agree that he's not where he was, but I, I disagree that he's never going to be the same player again. That's um, a bit far-fetched, I think. Power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. Like Kieran's phone through to the programme. Afternoon to you, Kieran. Welcome. Hey, guys. How are you? Listen, um, I think I'm going to need your help a little bit, but it's symptomatic of why I'm who did who did the Highlanders play? Was it Friday night? Yep, they played the Blues. The Blues on Friday night. Oh yeah, okay, mate. I'm going to use that forever and today. I think I've been waiting for this game to come along. Is 
My definitive proof is how bloody dull rugby's become. I mean, what, even even Tony Johnson, who's a supreme optimist, was reduced to calling it a turd to the veer. There was there was something like I think just after half time or something like fifteen minutes of lineouts and scrums in in the Highlanders twenty five, I think it was. Yeah, and oh my god, it was so turgid, so bad that it was the ultimate proof of why the league has taken such a hold on people's attention a lot. I mean, this weekend we've had some fabulous league games, starting with State of Arms. Uh, on Thursday night, but you know, God, and I was watching this rugby game. I thought, if the Marshall had landed, he probably, you know, he'd better have some suggestions and say, these these things have, you've got here called scrums and, and the never-ending shitting of them. Well, why don't you cut them out? These lineouts, why don't you cut them out? Just just start the game again. Maybe maybe five tackles or something. And I thought, God, man, you can. It's, it's, it's sort of not rocket science why the league's taken a hold, is it? Now, it's interesting, Karen, because um, I've got another text that says, Hi, Watto, uh, the so-called scrum debacle at the Blues versus Highlander game needs the rest and lawmakers just need to let the scrum carry on if the ball is available. Scrum's moving oh. and twisting as part of the game. Um, and, it, hey, it might just put a little bit more pressure on the halfbacks. I think it was probably targeted Justin a little bit. But, look, yeah, look, I, I think the game has become too complicated, Karen. I think that... Uh, league personally I think is probably an easier watch at the moment but I think it's only just one of the issues that is facing the game at the moment and I think probably um, I'm always I I never want to criticise referees because I think at the end of the day it is the rules the rules are a bit of an ass they're open to interpretation and they seem to be interpreted slightly differently every week Um, but you know I, I guess there's also the scrummaging side of it. So for some people, there is some romance left in it, isn't there, Karen? But clearly that's not you. But I think it's wishful thinking, that romance. I mean, you watch, you watch never-ending scrums being set, ending up in rolling balls, then ending up crashing another scrum set. And I think it was the Auckland captain who was opting to take uh, the scrum every time because they were, I think, like two points behind them. They are taking the penalty. You know, they were being awarded endless penalties, but he wasn't going to take the penalty come hell or high water. But I think this will be someone that's almost forced to, just for the sake of the spectators, to get the game going again. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right, Kieran, and um, that's and that's part of the reason with uh, I think why T20 cricket's taken off, and everything now seems to be everything now seems to be a hybrid version, and people want to see the best of a sport, and I think that's part of maybe see the appeal sometimes with sevens and why that's become the sport at the Olympic Games. Yeah, look, look. there are challenges facing the game. There's a challenge facing sport as a whole, I think. Uh, you know, there's challenges facing test cricket. It's um, watch the space, I guess. Hopefully the message is getting out there that at times, um, yeah, the game needs to be played with more fluidity. We can't constantly having the stop starts. And how do we negate that? How do we move forward with that? Um, and I'm not sure there's necessarily a solution. Hey, thanks for your call, Kieran. It is 28 minutes after 12. You're listening to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Justin, I just wanted to ask you, do you ever play in the era, I, I can't remember, do you ever play in the era of rucking? I did, yeah. I, I um, came through that amateur period just before professional rugby. Uh, I was involved with Southland from 1992 and um, obviously before that played club rugby down in Southland. Now, quite clearly, that uh, there's no doubt about the fact that they knew how to ruck down in Southland. <laughs> <laughs> the cat of nine tails on your back. 
Yeah, mate, you, you very quickly learned as a back in particular that if, you ended, if you're on the wrong side or in the wrong position, there was only going to be one solution to get rid of you, and uh, it usually tended to sting in the shower afterwards. So, yeah. yes, I definitely went through uh, that period. A, a, a lot of people do, do reckon, though, you know, because we look at the referee and we look at the interpretation at the breakdown, that the game might be a little bit more fluid, might be a little bit easier to manage if we brought back the rucking, but clearly not a good look for people at home. <laughs> no, it's a, you know, like I, I think the way that the game's evolved um, and, and the, the physicality, the players are just bigger and stronger. Uh, you know, the the, the risk also uh, with, with, you know, there were so many people opened up back in the day, just not through intent, just through clumsy rucking, whatever. Mm. Um, I think we've, 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 we've moved on from that. Uh, uh, you know, there are still complications, aren't there, at the breakdown on how you can effectively remove tacklers or you know that second arriving player just with now the ma- major focus on head contact so yeah it's a, it's one to sort of continue to try and improve uh, and make for a better flowing game you are listening to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside me, All Black great Justin Marshall. We will take a break. When we come back, Daryl Gibson on the programme. We'll get his thoughts on that Crusaders-Hurricanes performance and get him to run his eye over some of the other games from the weekend. Moana Pacifica having their first win of Super Rugby. What does that mean? Does it mean anything? What does the future look like for that particular franchise? It is 12.30. Yes, indeed. This is the Bunnies Trade Rugby Run. Justin Marshall, Mark Watson. Great pleasure now to welcome to the programme a Crusader grade, uh, all black, a man who spent a lot of time in the coaching space and these days is now working for High Performance Sport New Zealand. Daryl Gibson, afternoon to you, Daryl. Welcome. Afternoon, Mark. Marshall. Now, um, Daryl, you're also assistant coach for Fiji at this year's Rugby World Cup. You would have been delighted with the Fijian Drua's performance against the Reds. What have you made of the Fijian Drua in this year's Super Rugby? And what does that mean looking forward to Fiji's chances at this year's Rugby World Cup? Yeah, obviously it's been a fantastic effort just to make the eight. Um, and we saw yesterday just what an absolutely different side they are playing at home. You know, in front of that crowd. Um, and it really just reminds us of what um, you know, rugby's about and how much meaning it has for the people and then also for the players playing the game. Hey, Gibbo. Thanks for joining us, mate. Um, always appreciate it uh, and great to have your insight. Uh, yeah, off, off the back of that, um, where, where do you see the major improvement having been for that Endure side this year that has catapulted them into the eight? Where, where's, where has the game changed for that side? Well, I think a, a lot of it comes to the second-year team um, benefiting from training professionally um, all year round. I think when you've got players of, of the talent and physical capability that Fijian players have, you know, being able to train consistently um, in a high-performance way has really benefited. And you can see um, you know, there are some challenges around how they prepare mentally to play away from you know, Suva or Nandi. But um, certainly when they're at home, um, they're a real, real handful. And it really provides an excellent base um, for the Flying Fijians at this year Rugby World Cup, where you know, at the moment, you'd imagine there'd be at least um, you know, half the squad potentially coming from the draw. If then you look at their performances and see 
and you'll know this, mate, uh, where, where the perceived weaknesses in Fijian rugby in general, not just the Endura, even the flying Fijians, it is around that set piece, scrum, line out more, where teams tend to, when they str- struggle against the razzle-dazzle, just bring Fiji into a grind and set piece them. Do, do you see you being able to pick a strong enough, good enough pack to combat that Rugby World Cup time from what you've seen so far? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You, you hit the nail on the head. In terms of our planning, we know the blueprint that um, works against us you know, in terms of the style of game plan that teams are going to come at it. You know, there's going to be a strong set-piece focus. There'll be lots of territory, you know, trying to squeeze us into our own um, exit zones and then trying to keep the game as, as structured as possible. So, you know, not, a lot of our planning's around, um, firstly, as you say, getting us better at uh, our set-piece, our scrum, our line-out, um, defending them all, which um, you know, has been a bit of an Achilles heel over the last wee while. But our real challenge is getting the boys fit enough to keep compete with Tier 1 nations. And I think the fact that we've got them for a longer period, you know, normally we only get them for three weeks and, and prepare for a few games. So we've got a real opportunity to get them up to, to speed to firstly be able to compete um, for 80 minutes. So, so given that, <laughs> what I just said and what you alluded to, which uh, is a challenge, but equally, you know, if if you can get parity at least, well, man, the potential is unbelievable, especially with what we saw you guys accomplish against the All Blacks a couple of years ago. But you would imagine your old team uh, that you played for, that you coached, and now your mate Razor's coaching, exactly what his game plan will be with the Drua turning up on Saturday night in Christchurch, wouldn't you? Do you expect them to just... Typically, take that type of game plan to the endure and not allow them into the into the match at all. Yeah, that's right. I think you know you'll see as I just we, we just talked about you know strong set piece, play good territory, um, you know pressure, and pretty much what I thought the Blues did an excellent job against the Dura earlier in the year um, in terms of tactics and game plan. So it's a really interesting game for the Crusaders because they know to to get to the final or win the win the championship they're going to have to play three games you know, they're going to have the luxury of potentially two of those being at home but given where they're at at the moment in terms of their injury and their squad you know, they'll be thinking around how do we get ourselves to the final in the best nick possible to try and um, have a crack so it'll be interesting to see what sort of team um, Crusaders pick this week they know they can't take the draw lightly but um, you know they know they've got a bigger prize in trying to get to that final first and foremost well, with your coach's cap on, Gibbo, then, if you're going there with uh, being the uh, endure, what do you do knowing the Crusaders are going to do that uh, to you? Are you able? Are they able to come up with a game plan to combat that? And secondly, probably praying that it's not raining as well would help, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, well, that can be you know, a great leveller in, in some regard too, you know, the weather and, and slowing things down and making things a bit more easy, but I always think when you're playing the Crusaders and teams that have been successful, um, you've got to come with, with something different. You know, you've got to come and disrupt um, the Crusaders' pattern. It, it can't be nice. You know, if the Crusaders have the luxury of lots of time and space, they'll roll, roll through their, their attacking set and it'll be like a training run. And so, you know, I'm sure McBurn and the coaching staff will be really thinking about what, what 
that we do that can really trouble the Crusaders, you know, knock them off off their rhythm. Um, you know, and typically that involves being super physical, you know, getting into the breakdown and really making the game a bit of a mess as a spectacle. Have you got a Dane Coles equivalent in that Fijian team? <laughs> I did, actually, there'll be one thing, isn't it? Uh, and wasn't it great to um, you know, watch the sideshow drama that was going on last night and actually the meaning that it had eventually for both teams and, and given what was a, a pretty much a dead mm. rubber. Mm. Oh, look, yeah, no, great. And, and yeah, I, I, and we, and Justin said it in commentary, I think it, it changed the momentum um, intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, look, just wanting to get back to your role with Fiji. They beat France back in 2018, 21-14. How much belief, four or five years on, has that given Fiji, knowing that the World Cup is going to be played in France? And then the second part of the question is, the pool that you're in features Wales and Australia. Which of those games are you going to target? Which of those two games do you believe you can win? Or do you believe you can win both? Yeah, good question. I think, so firstly, to answer your first question about France, as you know, probably half our squad will probably come out of Europe. Um, Most of them play in France. So the idea of you know playing in France, most of them all speak French. They're very used. To, that's that's home for them. So you know we've got a real advantage there, and the fact that um, you know, it's very very comfortable. They play the French players a lot. They're very accustomed to all the European players. So I see that as a real advantage. Uh, and the second question around our pool, uh, as I alluded to earlier, if we can get our boys to a, a physical conditioning and a technical um, parity, I think we've got a real opportunity against both Wales and Australia. And then also, you throw in there Georgia and Portugal, you know, it's a really competitive pool. Uh, but we've, we know to progress to beyond the pool stages into the quarters, we've got to knock over um, Wales or Australia, and then we've got to obviously do a job on Georgia and Portugal. So, you know, we're very clear on that focus. We know, you know, physically where we need to be. We know technically and tactically what's coming at us. So it's just how quickly we can um, prepare ourselves for that, um, you know, in seven weeks. Personally, Gibbo, I must admit, I'm looking forward to your opening game down in Marseille against Wales, who have got players retiring left, right and centre. It's likely to be 30 degrees. Yeah, I think that's a massive opportunity, just quietly, but you'll know that and be aware of that. Um, So moving on, from uh, Rugby World Cup and just quickly getting your comments on the quarterfinals. Uh, seeing the teams that have qualified, obviously uh, the Chiefs have looked faultless really, haven't they? They've been so impressive. Uh, who do you think is uh, the teams that are most likely to get through through to that final? Do the Blues feature, even though they've looked a little off at times, they do have the ability, don't they, to, to beat any team in this comp if they get it right on the day? No, absolutely. I think you know you can't go past this competition. There's a clear top five teams. You know the four New Zealand sides and the Brumbies. And in this comp, you know how difficult it is to win away. So those teams that have home advantage in the quarters, um, you'd expect should go through. The only one, you know, that given last night's result and the momentum that the Hurricanes must feel on the back of um, that game. It's going to be an absolute um, cracker, I think, in Canberra. You know, the Canes will be full of confidence. They know what they're in for. They're going to be super physical at the breakdown. And they must think they're a chance. Um, 
And so, you know, looking at that, you'd, you'd back all the quarterfinal home teams uh, and then it's really on. I think you're right. The Chiefs uh, have had the squad all year um, with great depth off the bench across the across the squad. And those are the players that, you know, there's some that we haven't even featured this year that would equally have made, you know, the other super teams. Um, so you've just got to admire that strength and it's going to be a tough team to, to beat the Chiefs, I reckon, from uh, from here. Well, Daryl Gibson, we thank you for your time this afternoon here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Uh, all the very best for your preparations for Fiji and the upcoming uh, Rugby World Cup, but also, fingers crossed, um, I probably can't say this to Justin, but let's just hope that the Fiji and Drew will put themselves on the contest next week against the Crusaders and that we're in for an absolute cracker and Fiji play the way only Fiji can play. Absolutely. It should be an absolute uh, belter, I reckon. So it'll be good. 14 minutes away from one. You're listening to the Brunnings Brunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall. We'll take another break. We'll come back with more. Yeah, nine and a half minutes away from one o'clock. Between one and two, we'll get Justin Two to pick his Kubota most reliable player of the round. But we just want to acknowledge Bunnings, Bunnings uh, Power, your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. Justin, uh, we just had a text come in. I won't read you in all, but the first part of it, I, I think, is probably worth a discussion. Uh, this comes from Dean. Justin, do you think it's time to put Scott Barrett to bed as a six? He's too slow off the scrum and was exposed last night by the fabulous Canes number eight. Well, it's tapping into a lot of what I've been banging the drum of so far this season, of picking players in their positions that are specific to them, isn't it? And ultimately, week in, week out, Scott Barrett plays lock. Um, and then necessity arises for him to move, so he gets he's one of the he's one of the players that gets moved. And that even happened with the All Blacks. You know, it was only through necessity when uh, there was injuries in the back row that the All Blacks moved him to six. Otherwise, he's a lock. And that that's probably where we need to get better, I think, when we're selecting our All Black teams, which is a player that is playing, you know, really well in his position. If he can't get in the team because somebody else is playing better, then that must be a good thing because somebody's playing bloody, bloody good rugby. Um, but equally, don't compensate another area to shift the player because you feel that he still deserves to be on the field because he's playing that that position that he can't make well. Yeah. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? So, <laughs> I agree. No, like, no. Uh, if Scott Barrett wants to be the all-black number six, then he has to play there every week and prove that that's his position. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, we've always got ourselves into trouble. You know, Christian Cullen playing centre in 99, Leon McDonald, I think, playing centre in 2003. We saw Jerome Kano play at lock against Ireland in 2017, losing it. And you're right, you take Christian Cullen, you put him out of fullback, put him at centre. Not only you don't have your best centre, but you no longer got your best fullback. And suddenly you're weakening yourself in two areas, in my opinion, certainly through the eyes of a fan. Uh, let's go to well, the... Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Sorry, and, and where and where in the script ever was Bowden Barrett a fullback? Apart from when Dan Carter and now to a degree Richie Mwonga are starting at ten. So the next thing they do is shift them. Yeah, but it's not his position. No, you're just trying to get the best players on the park, not necessarily the best players in the best positions. Uh, Graham, good afternoon. Oh, good day, uh, Water. How are you, Justin? Good thanks. Good. Yeah, no. Hey, Graham. Good, as yeah, good. Yeah, I was obviously stating the obvious, but disappointed with the result because uh, even though it was a dead rubber in one respect, um, 
you know, these games are always, uh, you know, rivalries within rivalries. And, you know, as you said, you know, at the start of the show about Dane Coles and the Dane Coles and Cody Taylor show, um, yeah, that was pretty mm-hmm. riveting stuff. Yeah, cage fighting, but not quite. No, it ended up all sort of good. But, um, yeah, no, the Hurricanes deserve to win. And, um, yeah, I, the Crusaders, yeah, just didn't... I mean, it started off well. It was a bit like some of their earlier games, actually, where they started off well in the first half, I think. And then, um, you know, the well, obviously the Hurricanes got, you know, got the bit between their teeth playing at home. But, uh, yeah, Scott Barrett, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, it <laughs> I can see why they've put him at six. It's because Cullen Grace, obviously, <laughs> injury. And, um, yeah, and they've had to, you know, there's been a couple of other injuries too. Ethan's hopefully back. Ethan Blackadder's hopefully back next week. But, um, and obviously the, the loss, you know, the young halfback, I thought Louis Chapman did very well in starting, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, no, I mean, they, yeah, they've got to be a big game next week against the Drua. Because remember when they played here last year, it was a freezing night. <laughs> And um, they got walloped by about 60 points. But, yeah, no, they're a different... I mean, I'm really pleased for them. They're in this um, playoffs, I must say. You know, it's a really great thing for Super Rugby, just to, to what they've achieved, actually. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, they've already tipped up the Crusaders this year, haven't they? So I, I'd imagine that the Crusaders um, won't be taking it complacent by any means. But, yeah, I totally agree if they look at... I always saw right from 1996 that Hurricanes fixture as one of the big ones for the Crusaders. There is a real rivalry in that contest. And uh, I don't think that that's changed throughout history with the great players the Hurricanes have had and the Crusaders have had. And they're always belter of games. And isn't it just very quickly on the side issue? I think a, a bit of a, I got a, maybe an indicator and something for the organisation of Super Rugby to consider. The only times that the, the, they've only played each other once this season. It's the first time they've met. And look at the intensity and the passion in that game. Is this playing each team twice in the season too much? If you know you've only got that team once, maybe that's what this competition needs to spice it up. Yeah, great point. We might look at that and maybe open up the lines on that one between one and two. Is that a good point that Justin makes? You know, too much of a good thing is no longer a good thing. Make it one off put the jeopardy at stake, build that rivalry. Well done to Dane Coles, well done to Cody Taylor for enhancing that rivalry. One minute after one, you're listening to SENZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, all black great Justin Marshall with the New Zealand under-20s are in action. Second test yesterday against the Wallabies under-20, winning this one 19-18 after having lost the first test. One man who oversees the entire under-20s programme is Matt Sexton. He joins us on the programme. Matt, good afternoon. Welcome. Afternoon, how are we all? Very good, thank you. Okay, what should we make of this? the performances from this New Zealand under-20s team? I'll be perfectly honest, I probably expect the under-20s to blow the Wallabies off the park, but that hasn't been the case. So is, should I be concerned as a New Zealand rugby fan, or is this just credit to the Wallabies for what they're doing at that level? I'll, I'll uh, give credit to the Australians. Um, we... They were on the back of a heck of a hiding last year. I think it was a 60-point drubbing um, on the Gold Coast last year and came, um, you know, they put a lot of time and effort in and um, resource into the program to, to get it up to scratch. So they were they were really well prepared. They've had three camps, I think. This was their fourth camp leading into that fixture. So we're pretty well organised and, 
you know, had, had a, the bones of um, bones of a pretty good squad there. So, yeah, they were good. Um, yeah, we've got some some work to do. Um, yeah, we've got a we've we've got some talent in the team, but the cohesion piece were probably a bit behind the eight ball there. But um, we've got a little bit of time now to to correct some of that. But certainly, we're we're pretty buoyed with the talent that we've got in the team and and got a lot of confidence in the coaching team that will get them up to speed for the World Cup. How do you pick this New Zealand under-20s team? Is it picked purely from what you see at that under-20s tournament? Um, are selectors looking at club rugby? I, I mean, what warrants selection and how broad is yeah. how broad is the talent pool that you're looking at? Yeah, all of the, all of the above. Um, now this has been a process... Um, uh, you know, over probably the last 18 months, we this cohort we didn't know a lot about, and, and without sort of dragging COVID into the the scenario again, we um, you know that that's that this this actual cohort of of players missed a lot of school rugby. We had no development uh, with them. We 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 managed we took a group um, to South Africa last year with an under-19 team just to give them a bit of a taste and, and get to know them a bit better. Um, so, yeah, we've used, yeah, we've been a bit creative and, and luckily had, had an opportunity to get away with some of them on a, on a tour, And but we've watched Super Rugby, you know, we've got a number of players that have, that are in the, that have played or in the wider Super Rugby mix and certainly some of the Sevens players um, as well. So, Managed to draw on them, so it's yeah, a wide variety of programs and and competitions that uh, we look at, including club rugby as well. Hey Matt, thanks for joining us, mate, and um, I appreciate uh, the fact that you've been able to come online, given that you're probably racing to the airport, and that usually causes you to sweat. So thank God you sound like you're reasonably calm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Look, no, just, just off the back here, of that, I want. To, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you a technical question just to get my head clear yeah. around your selection policy. Uh, what what takes precedent here uh, in terms of, let's have a look at the Crusaders, for example, are really struggling at scrum half and you had another test match this weekend. Is, would Noah Hotham, for example, be able to go back to play for the Crusaders or national duties take precedent over Super Rugby? Yeah, it's a, that's a good good question. Um, I guess what we we look at on a case to case basis is what's been laid out with their long term development plan. So with with Noah, um, you know, he's he's one that uh, will benefit from an opportunity to to play in an international competition. So um, right at the start when you know, as a as an underage player, the approval process was to put a plan in place, which the Crusaders did for us, which included the under twenties. So that was, um, you know, probably eighteen months ago when when his when that plan was formulated and presented to New Zealand Rugby. So we're sort of stuck with that, and the Crusaders have been really accommodating around that. Um, that the best interest of the player is that he. Um, he is with the team and prepares with the team for, for the international comp that we've got coming up. Oh, very good. Yeah, okay. That's great to understand yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so basically all, any any so any players that are under 20 are required to have a development, a long-term development plan, um, which is, you know, some, some guys it might be that they'll be released for sevens or, you know, they might, you know, they might be released for Super Rugby. And Noah's case, it's it's not, and that he was 
you know, he's he's to be with the 20s at this point. Given um, the disruption, obviously, that international rugby, but, you know, uh, everyone suffered from, but in particular the under-20s, which kind of got in the way of development, didn't it? Because there was players that just missed the, the window to be able to play for the New Zealand under-20s. What where do where does the rest of the world sit? Who when you go to the Rugby World Cup are the teams that are the ones to watch out for? Or is that still Southern Hemisphere sides are quite dominant? Or has the European sides, you know, are they are they dan- as dangerous as anyone? Oh look they 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 sort of battled through. We I mean this is the first time we've had a World Cup in four years, so um, we haven't had the opportunity to play Northern Hemisphere teams, so there's a lot of question marks about how we're actually going to um, how we're actually going to go, where's our game at, where are our players at. So there's a lot of question marks because um, we haven't had that opportunity to to play Northern Hemisphere teams, and with um, obviously you know the likes of South Africa out of Super Rugby, we've sort of been in this little bubble, whether it's been playing against ourselves mm. and, and you know those those terrible times of uh, uh, but we did have the opportunity last year to, to, to play Australia which has been great but Virginia we've just been we've just been bubbling away on it uh, by ourselves without actually being able to test our game and test our players and see where we're at so it's, it's going to be fascinating um, about where we're at with things and there'll be a lot of stuff that falls out the back of this around um, you know where's our game at what do we need to, to do to be better Um but um, you know, the gut feeling is that we've got a really, really good group of players here. Um, we just, we just need to get the cohesion piece right, and and then see where we get to. But you know, there's clearly some some areas from from the last two games that we need to focus on, which, including our set piece, which we will be. Hmm. Uh, Matt, there has been discussion. Uh, look, you know, in the last three or four years, maybe the All Blacks haven't maybe performed at the level and expectation that the New Zealand rugby public expect. They've drawn correlations yep. with maybe the lack of success in 2018, 2019 with our under-20s where um, I think we might have finished fourth in 2018, didn't even finish in the top four in 2019. And that until we get our under-20s program right or we develop greater depth in that area, the All Blacks are going to continue to maybe just wane a little bit. Is there merit in what they're saying? Is there merit in that? Do we need to have a good under-20s program to have a good uh, All Black team? Yeah, look, I mean, we have a good transfer rate. Where they are at this point in time, in terms of under-20s, if you look at uh, the research done, which we, we do, uh, there's actually not a massive correlation to winning winning a, um, a world championship to, to the success of your of your, your top team. Um, so being, that being the All Blacks, we... Um, pretty sure we won in two eighteen and two nineteen. We didn't have a we didn't have a great. I think we got seventh. So we, um, yeah, pretty sure that we played in Georgia two eighteen. I think we won that tournament yeah, no, in two nineteen uh, with our team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but there's not a yeah. If you look at the research of the teams that you know, there's not a there's not a massive correlation to to the the winning of the top team. So we we've got two goals of this this side. One is. One is to get good transfer rate to Super Rugby and have and put a professional game and also to All Blacks and and have um, you know have a you know so developments one and, and secondly we you know we want to win as well so we're sort of dual purpose around that um, but you know at the end of the day it's a 
you know, we're not actually sure where we're at at the moment. So it's going to be um, for us. It's about seeing where that where our game's at and and um, the opportunity to play those Northern Hemisphere sides is, is, is going to be really exciting for us. Oh, just finally, uh, Matt, and again, thanks for joining us. Uh, what is now the process? Uh, I believe that you're due to announce uh, a team on Tuesday. Um, that would be a World Cup yep. side. And when do you go to South Africa and, yep. and uh, the tournament? Um, what, what dates are they? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, we've 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 actually communicated with the players today. Um, that team team will go out publicly Tuesday afternoon. Um, we assemble in Auckland with the thirty players um, on Saturday. We'll have a couple of days sort of um, organisation bits and pieces, and then fly to South Africa. We have a we have a warm up game against um, Argentina before the tournament on the eighteenth. When the tournament starts, I think our first games against Wales on the uh, sorry, uh, yeah, against Wales on the 25th. So that's when the tournament starts proper, 25th of June. And then she's five-day turnarounds. Uh, we've got uh, France um, after that, which will be a tough, tough, uh, tough, tough game. And, and Japan in our pool. Um, now we have to finish. We have to finish top of our pool to uh, to keep going into semi-finals. Um, and then. Um, yeah, once once we're there, then it's all on for young and old. Oh well, good luck with that, mate. Obviously, you've got all the support of us here in New Zealand. Uh, wishing you all the best of success. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for joining us. And equally, I'll make sure that I put a call forward to uh, South African Customs that you're on your way in because I know what what you'll be like over there, putting about fifty or sixty <laughs> stakes to the sword in your time there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there'll be plenty of biltong and red meat. Don't worry about that. <laughs> the boys will love it. Uh, hey, yeah. Matt, lovely to, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you, and all the very, very Thanks, best. Yeah, yeah. yeah 12... pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, Yeah. Thanks. 12 minutes after one, you're listening to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, all black great Justin Marshall, as we look back and reflect on the weekend of Super Rugby. Justin. Yeah, he actually also makes his own biltong, does Matt. Can you believe it? Um, goes out hunting and uh, makes biltong. He fell in love with it from trips to South Africa with the Crusaders. So, yeah, it's um, quite fascinating. Tell, that, tell, uh, just, just something for... that he got out of rugby, he does now um, in his spare time. Just tell us what is biltong. We see it around. We see shops uh, specific. You know, large yep. South African population, clearly on Auckland's North Shore. But just give us a Justin Marshall definition of biltong. Well, in general, it's just basically uh, good um, meat dried out, really, and uh, you can dry it out uh, as as long as you want to do, depending on the type of texture and quality that, that you're after. Uh, and then you can spice it up. I know that uh, Matt quite likes chilli, although, again, he's a massive sweater, so I'm surprised he's gone down that pathway. But, um, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it comes in different formats, shapes and sizes and different texture, but uh, basically it's just really is raw meat that's been that's been cured and dried out and uh and then seasoned what's the weirdest thing you ate in south africa justin uh ostrich yeah what did that taste like uh well everybody says chicken don't they (laughs) (laughs) well it's not a chicken though is it it's not a chicken mate it's an ostrich and i uh put it this way i didn't go back for seconds (laughs) 
Uh, no, you know, in Australia they eat kangaroo and I think a little bit of crocodile occasionally. I was just wondering whether, you know, so many animals in Africa, clearly maybe that's just a, a stereotype, but I just wondered how far they go in regards to what they can do and can't mm. do within the realms of the environmentalist these days. Exactly. No snake? No, no. I'm not a fan of snakes in general anyway, so consuming one wouldn't be ideal for me. Is that your big is that your big thing, is it snakes? Is that your big weakness? Yeah. Yeah, I it didn't is. Know that. I, how I, did I, I know, how did I know that? Of... How did I know that? Was someone baiting was someone telling me to tell you that? I don't know. Possibly, but I don't really have a a fear of too many things, including heights or insects or creepy crawlies or anything like that. But no, nah, snake just uh freaks me out. They're just Weird looking things, and when you touch them, which I've done before, uh, they, they just feel horrible, and they're obviously quite dangerous as well. So, yeah, not, not a great fan of the of the snake. <laughs> Fifteen minutes after one, you're listening <laughs> to the running. What is it? The Bunnings Trade Rugby Run here on SENZ. Mark Watson, look around about one thirty-two. We'll go up with Australian broadcaster uh, Nick McCardle over there covering all things Super Rugby for Australia. Well-established broadcaster. We'll get his thoughts on the state of Australian rugby now that it's all said and done. Did they meet their expectations? Were they disappointing? Was it on par? And how does this maybe look in terms of the Wallabies and the World Cup chances a little bit later in the year? It is 15 and a half minutes after one. We'll open the lines if you do want to have your chat. 0800 150811. You can text us here on 8833. It is 20 minutes after one o'clock. You're listening to SCNZ. Mark Watson alongside of me, all black great Justin Marshall. We head across the ditch now. Nick McCardle, iconic sports broadcaster, does the presenting on Stan Sports. Stan Sports, the home of Australian Super Rugby, joins us on the programme. Uh, Nick, good afternoon. Welcome. Mark, thank you very much. Yeah, good to good to be with you. Not such a great weekend for Australian Super Rugby sides. Uh, Brumbies uh, got up over the Rebels, I guess, is a positive. But the Drua beating the Reds, the Waratahs getting by, beaten by Moana Pacifica, and the Chiefs ending up beating the Force. Uh, when it's all said and done, uh, we now have our top eight teams. Have the Australian teams? exceeded expectations, been disappointing or have been probably realistic in terms of how this has played out? Yeah, if you'd asked me the question a month ago, I would have said uh, probably exceeded expectations. I reckon over the last month they've been disappointing and, and that goes that's right across the board, including the Brumbies. Um, the, the Brumbies having rested those uh, 12 players, including eight Wallabies, just a couple of weeks ago when they went across to... To Perth, they got it all wrong. I think in the the quiet moments, Stephen Larkin would probably admit that they uh, they pulled the wrong rein on that because they've just looked um, disjointed, uh, been no cohesion at all uh, since. They, they look slightly better in the second half the other night against the Rebels, but they haven't been the Brumbies that uh, that they were, you know, five or six weeks ago. Um, and yeah, teams just seem to have fallen away. The Tars they've been hit hard by injury. But every side's been hit hard by injury. I just, I'm a little bit over people making excuses on this side of the ditch. I, I just think that the teams have been quite poor over the past uh, two or three weeks. The, the Reds were poor. Um, you know, there's a sense now that our teams have limped into the final series. You want to have some momentum heading into the final series, and, and we just don't seem to have that. Hey, Nick, thanks for joining us, mate. Always appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I wanted to tap into you about some of those decisions. Is Australia adopting the same rest uh, protocols as New Zealand? Like, has 
the, the the ARU said that they have to have a, a time where they stand down, or it's just at the coach's discretion from the from the clubs. Yeah, Marcy. To be honest, I'm not sure how how strictly it's it's policed and and how tightly it's regulated. But I think there is an understanding between the Super Rugby teams and and RA that uh, that they will be rested. Um, you know, Jed Holloway didn't play last night, for example, because he was due a rest. Um, Michael Hooper uh, missed last week because he was due a rest. Um, I think the issue around how they've been managed is, uh, I think that's the real issue there. Um, you know, the decision, and Bernie, we asked him about it on air the other night, about that decision to, to rest en masse your Wallabies. And that was something that had been planned all year. They targeted that game uh, against the force to give their big names a rest. Uh, it didn't work for them. It backfired on them, something fierce. Um, and I think that there's a management issue there. You look at uh, the New Zealand sides and they've you know rested one or two guys throughout the year, but never really en masse. Um, and when you look at teams like uh, wandering around in Australia at the moment, I'm just not sure we've got the depth to be able to you know, the Brumbies have probably got the best depth, um, one of the best programs in the country. And and if they can't rest en masse, then no other team's going to be able to rest en masse. You know, you, you can't leave big names like that out and expect to, to beat teams. Um, they underestimated the force and, and it's hurt them. It really has. Do you think it's a concern that in general uh, the Australian team's and particularly the even the top sides like the Brumbies uh, and the Waratahs to a degree. Now let's put last night's result between the Waratahs and Moana Pacifica aside. Struggle to win in New Zealand because now that's the only way that they're going to to win. By the look of it, a um, apart from a miraculous uh, situation developing, is the only way they're going to win a Super Rugby title. Why, why do you feel that they struggle to win games in New Zealand in general? That is a really good question, Marcia. And I think if, if the answer was clear, um, you, you know, they, they would have done something about it over the years. I mean, let, let's, let's face it. Individually, man on man at the moment, um, you know, the, the New Zealand teams are clearly better and, and have been, well, certainly the top New Zealand teams are better and, and have been for a long while. Why, why do teams struggle to, to win away from home and, and across the ditch? I, I can't answer that. Is it, is it purely a, a talent thing or is it something outside of that? But it's become part of, unfortunately, I, th- I think it's become part of the language here about, um, you know, when we talk about teams going to Christchurch, we say, oh, you know, and I say, it's, oh, it's the toughest road trip uh, in Australian rugby to, to go to Christchurch and try to beat the Crusaders. So that thinking and that language becomes embedded and, and accepted. Um, whereas I wonder if everyone changed the way they spoke about it and seeing a visit to Christchurch as just another game of rugby might make a difference psychologically. I'm not sure that there's too much in that, but I just, I just wonder. It's a bit like how you talk about, uh, you know, Michael Checker, for example, went through a stage where he would never call the All Blacks the All Blacks because he felt that maybe, you know, there was, a, there was an aura around the term All Blacks. He always referred to them as New Zealand. And you'd, you'd ask him in a press conference something about the All Blacks and he would come back with, oh, well, New Zealand this, New Zealand that. 
I wonder whether there's hmm. something about the way the way we talk about these things and and saying, you know, why why is Eden Park such a tough place to win for the Wallabies? Haven't done it since 1986. Well, you know, maybe if we didn't make that part of the Australian psyche, it would be a, an easier problem to to solve. I, I totally agree, and because I I feel the talent is there, and there's been times where New Zealand teams have been slightly vulnerable, and the Crusaders is one of those. And to me, the Brumbies came into that game with a defeatist attitude. Again, Stephen Larkham rested quite a few players, and the Crusaders had a few out. And they, they didn't approach it in the right, with, with the right mindset and then ultimately got beaten. And the Waratahs a couple of weeks ago, who were a very good side, and again, the Crusaders were uh, uh, forced into some players rested and had injuries. And the Waratahs put out a good side, but they just... Because I remember I talked to Chris Whitaker the night before. He said, we've learnt, mate, we've learnt not to rest players, even though, you know, this game, we, we don't feel we were going to win. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting comment because... They just weren't the side that they had shown them themselves to be, and and maybe it is all mental. Yeah, and I wonder what would happen, Marsha. I mean, you can speak to this better than I can, but I wonder what would happen if, in a pre-season, you marked on the calendar, okay, this is if you're the Waratahs or, or the Reds or the, or the Brumbies, um, you you mark on on the calendar your trip to Christchurch. You've got one visit to Christchurch that year, and you go to the, you say to the guys, listen. You know, we want to win all these games, but this is the game. If we don't win another game this year, this is the game we're going to mm. win, and let's build towards. I wonder whether that whole change in in approach would make a difference somehow, rather than almost surrendering um, surrendering that game and uh, you, you know putting it down, putting that in the loss column even before the season started. It's, it's a really interesting way of thinking about it, and that's where we've got to back to the overall discussion about you know, how we manage players and, um, you know, make sure the players are fresh towards the back end of the season and as you head into test rugby. Then there's this other argument, and Drew Mitchell talks about it. I've actually done a program with him this morning, but he talks about it all the time where he says, well, what, what's this resting business? You look at what premiership in England, how many games they play every year and, and top 14 and the travel associated with top 14 where you're on a plane or on the train, you know, there's a lot of competitions around the world that play a hell of a lot mm. more games than 13 or 14 every year and then finals and then test rugby. What, you know, what are we doing? Is this become the accepted norm and what's the science behind the accepted norm? Yeah, Nick, look, you, you won't get any argument with me. I'm just trying to prove where in the last four years there's evidence with this all-black team that rest and rotation works. In fact, it was a disaster in 2007. You go back and look at our World Cup victories in 2011, 2015. The best player in the field was Jerome Kano, arguably in both World Cups, and he pretty much played every minute of uh, both World Cups, didn't rest. Kevin Mialamu, another. And the only thing that seems to get frustrated are the fans. And I think, uh, hopefully, under Scott Robertson next year, we sort of move away from that and put it in the hands of our Super Rugby coaches. And our Super Rugby coaches... 
uh, are not dictated to because when it's all said and done, players are going to pick up injuries anyway and therefore they're going to miss games just through, you know, uh, natural attrition. And then there are going to be those games where for the greater good, you're going to give your wider squad a go anyway. So I'm not sure why then you need to have a third reason to rest players. Uh, look, I, look, I, I want to move away from maybe a little bit of the doom and gloom and talk about maybe some of the good points that have come out of Super Rugby from an Australian point of view. Who are the feel-good stories? Who, who are the players that have stood up and introduced themselves to the wider a rugby community, stars of the future, perhaps. Yeah, well, it's it's a good question. One of them, I think, that we were very excited about, and unfortunately, he's picked up a, a knee injury uh, for the Waratahs. Max Jorgensen at the back, so the son of Pete Jorgensen, who uh, played a lot of uh, football for for New South Wales. Um, he's straight out of school, so he's a kid. Um, my son plays in the school system here, and I've been watching this kid tear it up over the last few years. Everyone knew he was going to be a star. But the pace at which it's happened is, is really interesting and he's, he's really learned to, you know, we've talked to him about it, he's learned to deal with the contact of fully grown human beings coming at him and he was doing so well. I think Eddie Jones was going to include him in his first squad. He, he liked what he saw. How much test rugby he would have played at, at the age of 19 is another question. Um, so, yeah, he's a star of the future. Corey Tool, again, not a big body for the Brumbies on the wing out of the Sevens program. And, and another good story that he probably wouldn't have necessarily got his chance in the Sevens program except through COVID. He was one of these, these COVID contracts and, um, and so got his opportunity, then moved into the Brumbies program and, and his proof that out-and-out pace uh, is still a winner on the wing. Um, doesn't necessarily match it physically, but if he gets the ball in space, pretty hard to to stop um just thinking around um oh tom liner um in queensland uh chip off the old block not his son at the age of i think 20 um so his brother louis been in and around the england squad uh for a little while so tom comes back and commits himself to, to queensland rugby and um, he's had a pretty good year as well just a really safe pair of hands and a developing uh, developing 10. Um, Lange Gleeson is another one, although hasn't had an outstanding fortnight or so in the back row for New South Wales, but a really damaging uh, ball carrier. And uh, it, it certainly, he has just re-signed, so certainly a star of the future for the Waratahs. He made his, um, made his Wallaby debut on the Spring Tour last year, and a lot of people like what they saw. And I've been really impressed by the development of Nick Frost as well for the Brumbies, um, big unit, very athletic. He was a terrific junior athlete. Um, I think he ran the 400 in a pretty quick time for a big human. He moves really well, and so he he's going to be uh, certainly you know wearing the the Wallaby gold jersey for many years to come. So there, you know there's a there's a, a good crop of of green shoots there um, if they can bring them on and, and develop them in the right way. Uh, and, and not expect too much too soon because I think if there's been an Achilles heel with Australian rugby over the last 10 to 15 years, we're always on the search for the next star. And players come through and expect, are expected uh, too much of too quickly. So just give these guys, particularly you know the, the playmakers, give them a, a time to develop and, and know their game. Uh, I think we're going to look pretty healthy in, in years to come. Hey, Nick, I sat down as we usually do and have a beer and debrief the game um, amongst our Sky crew last night and I know that you do it 
with Stan Sport as well after the ga- after the game. You've got your your talent there, guys that have played international rugby. And our chat was moved on to the Wallabies, and we said, "Who who is the Wallabies fullback?" And we couldn't we couldn't really come up with the answer. D- d- does your group know who that Wallaby <laughs> fullback is? And more importantly, does Eddie Jones have any idea? Yeah, well, I think Eddie Jones probably has an idea. I think um, I think Max Jorgensen, you know, would have been on the radar. As I said, I don't know how much uh, how much Test footy he would have played this year. Um, well, Mark Nwanganitawasi didn't uh, cover himself in glory last night. He'd be a candidate. Uh, Tom Banks. Um, who's gone to Japan this year? Um, you know he's the incumbent. Um, whether they look at getting him back, I'm not. To be honest, I haven't. I haven't seen uh, how he's been travelling. Whether he's played much rugby and how good it's been in Japan. But it's it's a really good question, Marshy. It, it really is. Um, there's no one that really stands out. Do you go back to a Reese Hodge? Perhaps at least you know what you're going to get in that scenario. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really good question. Who did you guys come up with? Well, we talked about um, we talked about the boy from <laughs> the Brumbies whose name eludes me. Sorry, uh, who's playing there now? Who That's played on the back. wing for the Brumbies? Yeah, Corey, Corey Tool. Oh, sorry, Tom Wright. Tom yeah, Wright. Yeah. Tom Wright yeah. kind of came into the mix, but we thought that he plays so well on the wing that you'd probably argue that that's his best position, but he's still making yeah. a pretty good fist of fullback here. But we, we did struggle a bit. Um, Callaway yeah. obviously is playing there for the Rebels, but that's he hasn't gonna say about been Andrew the same Callaway. player. No, he, he hasn't. And, you know, unfortunately, Kel, uh, he's, he's got a bit of the Adam Ashley Coopers about him as well. He's a bit of a Mr. Fix-It, um, can play pretty much mm. anywhere from, you know, 12 through 15, um, to 11 through 15. So, you know, he could be an option. Uh, he has played there before. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good question, but the, the fact there's no standout probably tells part of the story. Um, it does. Yeah, it, it did take yeah. us more than one beer to come up with that. So <laughs> you can bring the, is that because, you can bring the is that because um, subject. Can think of anybody to you. Yeah, you can bring the subject up with your group um, if you want, and that, that should uh, provide you with some entertainment. But, um, hey, I wanted yep. to ask you about... Eddie Jones's comments this this week. Um, what, what's he up to now, mate? Honestly, I don't know. If people out there haven't heard. He's kind of said in a funny sort of a way that he could possibly be pulling the pin after the Rugby World Cup on a four-year deal that he signed with the Australian Rugby Union. Just, yeah. Again, that was topical for us last night. It was. I mean, you know, well, you know, Eddie's Eddie. I mean, the other part of that was he, he also told. Was it a podcast in England? I think. He also said that he yeah. was basically uh, volunteering uh, in the role. Well, I've got on pretty good information what sort of cash he's on. I can tell you I'd volunteer for that amount of money <laughs> as well. Um, he is certainly not volunteering, so I don't know where that came from. But I don't know. Is that is that just Eddie, you know, wanting to be wanted, perhaps? Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of that. I, I, yeah, I couldn't wait. That, that had a lot of us scratching our heads. Now, he... He is here because he wants to coach the Wallabies at a home World Cup. That it mm. completes the circle, and that is uh, that is something that he is desperate to do. Um, he talks about this World Cup 
being a smash and grab. And you know, he he is he can't lose in this World Cup. If they had if they have success uh, in France, he will look like a genius. Um, you know, if if they make a semi final, I think you'd have to say that is successful post 2019, and he will be hoping to do a hell of a lot better than that. Um, so so he's he's going to look like a genius if they if they do that or better. And then if they don't, he's going to go, well, you know, I was just really, I just picked things up late here and we're building something and don't you worry, uh, we're going to be fine in four years' time. So it's a win-win situation for Eddie and he wants to be the man to coach the Wallabies at a home World Cup. So I'm not quite sure where that all came from, that, that podcast. Sometimes, as you well know, uh, sometimes Eddie can just, you know, throw things out and, and defeed the chooks pretty much. Nick McArdle, it has been an absolute privilege and a pleasure, my good man, to have you on our show this afternoon. Thank you. To the both of you, thank you very much. Anytime. 21 minutes away Thanks, from two, you are listening to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall, when we do come back, we'll get Justin to give us his Kubota Most Reliable Player of the Round. Power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. 17 minutes away from two, Mark Watson alongside me, All Black, great Justin Marshall, as we talk all things rugby here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Well, Justin, Kubota, together we are shaping and building New Zealand. Who is your Kubota most reliable player of the round? Okay, so my Kubota most reliable player of the round has made my most reliable player of the round for Kubota Kubota before. So people are going to think that I'm showing favouritism, but I think the word reliable also means consistent. Uh, and from what I saw at the weekend, I didn't take a great deal uh, out of a difficult night um, from the Blues game against the Highlanders. Uh, the Chiefs' emphatic victory against the Force, I think, uh, showed again the quality at the moment, considering how well some other wingers are playing in the country or back three players of Sean Stevenson. Uh, mm. He just continues to play such reliable, uh, consistent, um, line-breaking, spectacular rugby. He he really is in tip-top form at the moment, and last night was no exception to it. So without without him doing the things he was, he's was he been doing this year, including last night, uh, I think they don't think the Chiefs would be um, as well off, well off as what they are. Yeah, no, there's a lot to like about him. There's a bit of Glenn Osborne there. There's a little bit of Cullen. There's a little bit of Will Jordan. Uh, He he does look like the complete footballer. Kubota, for over 40 years, we've been making Tomorrow Matter, shaping and building New Zealand together. Um, Justin, an interesting comment last night. I think you might have made it previously, and that was when you said that Roygaard expect to see him in a different coloured jersey this year, and you said, look, I've put it out there. Uh, You genuinely believe he can be one of the three that take to the World Cup? Well, I do, and I think the system shows that as well because he went uh, over uh, to the UK last year. Now, forgive me, I can't remember what we ended up calling that side. Was it New Zealand A? Was it uh, whatever it might be? But uh, he, I think it was, he ended up being part of that team, uh, and that was off the back of some really good rugby for counties um, and, and being involved in Super Rugby but not getting much game time. This year, he's obviously with the... Injury to TJ Pirianata has got regular game time and uh, he's just um, grown as a player. I think probably the catalyst for that was going away in November uh, and learning to be in a different environment and around better players. 
and he's the foil that I feel we need in the mix for the All Blacks. He's the he's the Kerbalo, the Perianata point of difference than the kind of like-for-like players of the three best in the country at the moment, which is Aaron Smith, Finley Christie, and Brad Weber. You know that, but those guys are, are reasonably similar types of player. Yes, they offer different qualities, but Cam Roygaard brings a different style of game to the mix, and I feel that that's what we need uh, in, in our side and in our attack. Uh, the other one that people will throw out there is obviously Falau Fakatava, who has been one that offered that point of difference. But I think, you know, uh, Roygaard um, has he, he's just got a little bit more punch about him. Weber misses out. Yeah, that's a interesting point. Um, I, I'm I'm not convinced that uh, there's a great deal between both Brad Weber and Finley Christie. Yep. Uh, it's a tough choice between those two. Um, but I certainly feel that they, like I said, they need that other type of player in there that is just a, a, a offers the attack a lot more. And and some people said to me, oh, defensively, he's a good defender. I get, he will learn to defend better in terms of decision-making, but he doesn't miss tackles. He gets over the ball. He doesn't shirk it. Uh, I, I, just, I don't agree with uh, people saying that he's not good on defence because I, I feel that he is he is a good defender. You're listening to the Bunnings Rugby, uh, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall, because of the duration of our interview with Nick, we've just got a couple of uh, bills we need to pay, some commercials to take. And I do just want to encourage people, if you hear businesses advertising on the station, if those brands are involved in any purchasing decision, please go with the brands you hear on ECNZ. We'll take our final break. We'll come back. We've got some texts that have come in that I'll get Justin to address. We will uh, have a look at the A-League final. We'll look at the performance of the Warriors uh, last night. Really good performance. Great to see uh, this team really starting to hit their strides. Uh, We'll also look at that FA Cup, the All-Manchester FA Cup. Manchester City beating Manchester United by two goals to one. Um, Partway there to the treble. Champions League next week against Inter Milan. Justin Marshall alongside of me. Justin, uh, text that's coming. Afternoon, lads. It's great to see some young Lucys shining through. Anton Segner was excellent at seven for the Blues. I thought that as well. Obviously saw a flash of potential from the young Canes number eight. It's encouraging for the future because right now it feels like we have Artie as a lock in at eight, but are still waiting for a seven and six to demand selection. Thoughts? Good thoughts. Yeah, I agree. And we need to continue... To give uh, these opportunities to 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 the young players, you know, Signa hasn't had a, a lot of chances this year with the Blues, but showed his quality. And saying that, Choate has been outstanding for them um, this year. The Blues hasn't he? But uh, absolutely, I thought uh, yesterday last night uh, showed that he's a genuine number eight. You know, he he is a, a number eight that wants to get off the back of the scrum, just wants to run hard and direct, and he's got speed and power. Uh, yeah, we do. We do continue to need to develop. Artie's obviously going to be leaving post-Rugby uh, World Cup. Uh, and ever since Kieran Reid, we've uh, never really fulfilled that position without, uh, by a spe- with a specialist. Artie's just had to adapt. So we need to continue to work in that zone. And I think we already mentioned him earlier in the show earlier, but Leo Willie, uh, I just couldn't believe how big he yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, he's been outstanding. And again, a player that just seems to be better when he gets regular game time in one jersey like the last three weeks he's been at number eight and I think he's been 
Um, he's, he's been just developing brilliantly. But, you know, Cullen Grace comes back, he gets moved around again. So... <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 people sort of rubbishing the Blues a little bit on Friday night, but I actually watched that game. I actually thought there were some really good levels of continuity there. Little things let them down at the last moment, but some of the tries, I mean, maybe a dubious forward pass. Um, you know, phase after phase after phase. I thought Nepo Laulala looked good with ball in hand. Uh, uh, Vasi looked ball with uh, good with ball in hand, but maybe just a little bit more credit might need, need to go to the Highlanders. Yeah, well, that's, you're, you're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head, like, it was a game the Highlanders had everything to gain by putting everything into it they possibly could. They tackled themselves to an absolute standstill. They really did. Um, that's desperation for you, isn't it? And our desperate side is always going to be a tough side to get on top of, and that, that, that was the case. And like Leon McDonald said, win the ugly ones um, and get the result. Job done. Okay, just quickly, you got about 30 seconds, Justin. Marshy, Barrett at miss, Barrett missing tackle on Kane's number eight didn't fill me with confidence for All Blacks. Also, inability of Richie Mawanga to change game, kick, long, etc. That comes from Nick. Yeah, I, I just think the Crusaders just looked a little rattled. Um, Scott Barrett doesn't miss many tackles. Yes, he was a bit slow off the back. Uh, I don't think he was expecting it, but you have to be aware, so that's a valid point. Um, and yeah, Richie had a very young scrum half inside him, both in both instances. Um, so yeah, he, he got sort of uh, the, the, the David Harvey factor missing too, and the, the kicking game got lumped on him, and the pressure went on him. So not entirely his fault, but you've got to adapt. Justin Marshall, as always, privilege and a pleasure. We'll do it on the In Red tomorrow night. Thank you. Look forward to it, Wado. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Another edition of the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run here on SENZ.